for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Today, uh, John is going to be joining me, so we're going to do a little bit of a, a tag team uh, a little bit later, and uh, he's the only one who knows he's going to join me. There are one or two others around who don't yet know they're going to join me, uh, so I just thought I'd warn you. Um, the other thing I just wanted to say at, at the beginning, you know, it's been, a, it's been an amazing uh, meeting so far. It's got to really be moving. Um, so we will, I will try and make sure that people are, are relatively humorous, but there is also quite a, um, a challenging side to what I'm going to say today. So please uh, be aware of that. Um, uh, the, the title is The Pharisee and the Publican. And uh, I really struggle with this. <laughs> Because I couldn't see, I mean, I was thinking of Paul Mark back there, who I know has worked in a pub. Um, I was thinking, and I was trying to work out why a publican would be the, re- with the replacement for a tax collector. I really couldn't work it out until I did uh, my homework. But anyway, I thought I'd put uh, a, a pub landlord out, up there for you. Um, maybe just to start, let's give a little bit of context to the passage which is in Luke. Uh, the author of uh, the Gospel, Luke, wrote both Acts... Uh, and the Gospel Luke, around 60 AD. He was a Gentile, but he was looking at the Jewish context from outside, rather as we are. We look at the Jewish first century context from outside. And he focused on the power of the Gospels on individuals. What a difference does the Gospel make, the good news of Jesus, in individuals' lives? And he was very vivid. And this parable here speaks of two individuals. Now I'm going to do, uh, we're going to do a little bit of a dramatic reading and one or two are going to be involved in a minute. I just thought I'd warm you up a little bit and warn one or two. You know who I pick on if people don't volunteer. So it may well be you. Um, and the reason I'm going to do that is because uh, in the book uh, From Bethlehem to Patmos, which is by Paul Bennett, who talks about the context of the Gospels, he says this, Aramaic scholars believe that many of Jesus's teachings were delivered originally in poetic or easily memorable forms. In other words, they were were done so that people could remember them. If you like, they were were done as a kind of adult nursery rhyme, so that you'd remember about the tax collector and the Pharisee. You'd remember that would be be in your minds, even though you wouldn't necessarily have seen it written down, that would have been in your mind. So I thought, and I'm sure you'll go with me, (laughs) one or two of you will anyway, I thought we'd do uh, a little dramatic reading. Are Are you up for that? I noticed the, the, the stage has got shorter today, so there might be one or two falling off this, um, but we'll have to, to work out. I need two people, and uh, I've been thinking really carefully about this. I need somebody to be the Pharisee. Yeah. <laughs> uh, lovely. Thank you, John. Wonderful. Um, you know, you do, do typecast a little bit. I apologise, but you do a little bit. I don't know if you'd like to come up here. Okay, all you have to say is the bit in orange. And then I need a, a dramatic tax collector. Amazing how people get silent. Thank you, Mr. Bree. You're fantastic. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, we need a dramatic uh, a tax collector. Honestly, you don't have much to say. If you'd like to stand about there, I'm just going to move slightly off stage because, of course, you're the centre stage. And we will read Luke 18, uh, verses 9 to 14. So it says this. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves. Luke 18, verses 9 to 14. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others 
with contempt. Two men went into the temple to pray. One, wait a minute, wait a minute. We boo when we hear the Pharisee. We, or do we boo when we hear the tax? I'm not sure. Let's, should we boo them both? Okay. So we're allowed to boo in church, aren't we? Good. Okay. Okay. So uh, where was I? Two men went into the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee. And one, oh, oh yes, and the other, a tax collector. Okay, we're kind of getting into it. The Pharisee, (laughs) standing by himself, interesting, all by himself. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes up to heaven. This is the dramatic bit. Ready? Ready? But beat his breast. (laughs) Something of the Tarzan, isn't it? Beat his breast, saying... Hey! Boo. Yay! I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Thank you very much. We'll hear more from John. Thank you. Okay, so I'm going to look through... Uh, in three stages. We're going to look at the tax collector. <coughs> Lovely. And then we're going to look, and then John's going to come up, he's going to look at the Pharisee. Okay. And uh, then I'm just going to look at that last phrase, which is the one that's really struck me. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So, what did the tax collector represent? <laughs> so I'm not going to get through it at all, am I? What did the tax collector represent in that day? In, in first century Jewish Palestine, what did the tax collector actually represent? Well, Michael Wilcox, talking about Zacchaeus, the tax collector, remember Zacchaeus, he said this, and I think I mentioned this before, but I think it's a really nice little summary. He said he was a capitalist, he was a collaborator, and he was a crook. Okay? Tax collectors, who may, even in this day of age, not be our favourite of people, if we're honest, tax collectors were Jews who collaborated with the Romans to collect taxes. So they were collaborators. They collaborated with the Romans, the occupying army. They were hugely disliked because of that. I was going to, when I was researching this, I thought I'd research the collaborators and how they were treated after... um, uh, the Nazis left uh, mainland Europe. You know the pictures of the collaborators. And so I went on the internet, I thought I'd find you a picture of what they did to the collaborators, just to give that, that sense of how much they were disliked. And the pictures were awful. They were so disliked. You know, the hair was, was um, uh, shaved, uh, they were stripped, 
They were blooded. They were so disliked because they collaborated with the Nazis. And there was that real sense that tax collectors were collaborators. The real sense that they were hated, and many would say, rightly so. They were the most hated part of society. Mark 2, verse 16 says this. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he, Jesus, was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? They were looked down upon in society. Them. It was those over there, those we really don't like. And we've got a really good reason for not liking them. I wonder what you think the equivalent is today. We'll come to that in a minute. Interestingly, even Jesus was not polite about tax collectors. It wasn't just uh, the the Pharisees and the, the people of the day. Matthew 5, verse 46, Jesus said, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have in that? Even the tax collectors do that. Even the worst part of society do that. He was the part of society that people disliked most. And again, I, just ch- I challenge you, I question you, what, I- what is that? We've, we've talked a lot today, haven't we, about different things that we struggle with. And I think over the last few years, the thing that I've struggled with most is the, the public paedophiles, isn't it? The part of society you just don't want anything to do with. Part of society, just in your mind, you hate, even though you may not even be able to put a person in front of you. And it's interesting that that was the one that was justified. It isn't right, is it? Doesn't it strike you? It's just not right. There's this kind of anger that feeds inside of us. So that is the tax collector. That's my, my feeling about the tax collector. Um, Okay. Shall we have a look? John, at the Pharisee. Shall we give John John a big cheer? Okay. Way! Let me give him this. Okay. The Pharisee um, actually did do a lot of things right when it came to the law-keeping. And many people in society of those days, um, they would look up to the Pharisee. And even Jesus, in Matthew 23, 23, acknowledged that the Pharisees did do some good things. However, he goes on to say, their biggest fault was that they've neglected the weightier matters of the law. And when it comes to the spirit of a Pharisee, we can all fall into that trap. It's very much being self-righteous. I do not murder, which is good. And God would say, that is good. But God is also saying, but do you hate? I would say, I do not steal. And that is good. And God would say, that is good. But God would also ask me, do you covet? I would say, I do not commit adultery. And that is good. And God would say, that is good. But God would also ask us, 
do we have lust in our hearts? The law is the true measure of how we are. It does show us how well we're doing in areas. And the Pharisees did become very proud of that. And equally, we can fall into that trap as well. But what is beautiful about the law is that it points us to who we need all the time. It points us to Jesus Christ, because no matter how well we do, we all fall short of the glory. And you hear that even in society in general, but I'm a good person. Many people will say that, but I'm a good person. I'm not like the paedophile. I'm not like the rapist. They're falling into that that spirit of the Pharisee. In Luke 11, it's exactly um, what we, we just read about I'm not like other men. But God's word says in 2 Corinthians 10, 12, but they measuring themselves by themselves, comparing themselves amongst themselves are not wise. So God is saying it's, it's foolish to do that. We need to be measured by the law. And there's a few biblical examples. Um, in verse 10, it says the Pharisee went up to the temple to pray. That could be like us saying we're going into the presence of God. Um, and others did that in and around Jesus, the rich young ruler. He was around Jesus, but his question was, what must I do? The elder brother in the parable when the prodigal son came round, he said to the father, representing God, but I've always been here and I've always done what I'm told. Again, it's about his goodness. And Mary and Martha, Mary, Martha was doing good things, but Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. It's an issue of the heart. The others in the Bible, Isaiah, there's no denying how much he was moved and used by God. He said, I am a man of unclean lips. When you're in the presence of God, you're all too aware of your shortfallings. The Apostle Paul, he didn't say, I was a chief of sinners. He says, I am the chief of sinners. But God still used him mightily. He recognized who he was in comparison to God. The spirit of the Pharisee is more aware of his victories in God, or our victories in God, rather than his continued need of God's grace and forgiveness. And I think that's where we all can fall into that trap. Um, My example, which is uh, the third point, me being a Pharisee, um, at work there's been a lot going on recently, lots of issues with two members of staff in particular. And if I were to share the details, which which I won't, um, I think most of you would say, John, They are absolutely out of order. They're clearly living a godless life. Um, They're taking up a lot of time, um, a lot of frustration and stress in work. And it was building up in me. And I was was going home one day very upset and saying, unloading on God, you know, this isn't fair. Look what they're doing. Look how they're treating people and yada, yada, yada. You've got to deal with this. And just as I was going into the station, the Holy Spirit said, John, so far at no stage have you offered to pray for either of them. And it had been going on weeks. I was very much talking about what I was doing right and what they were doing wrong. And God never dismissed any of that. 
but it's the issue of the heart. You're not loving them. You're not praying for them. So it's a trap we can all fall into um, and we need to be aware of. Thanks, John. Don't worry, I'll get you back. <laughs> You'll be back up here. It is, uh, it's a real challenge, isn't it, when you look at the Pharisee as a, as a godly man um, in a lot of ways, and you look at the tax collector in the most hated of society, and you get to the stage where you think, God, are you really going to forgive the tax collector? Are you really going to do that? Are you really going to do that? And... Uh, that, that, I think, is my heart today, that I think John has, has talked about us a little bit, hasn't it, as being that slightly pharisaical sometimes in our hearts. We have that gentle looking down, and, well, we, you know, we do the right thing. But actually, there's a, there's a depth, I think, that, that God wants us to understand about how much he forgives us. Do you know, one of the things that really bugs me about the tax collector is this. Do you remember the story of Zacchaeus? Yeah? He said, after he came to Jesus, he said, I'll give back four times... What I've stolen. What about this tax collector? What does he say? God forgive me. He doesn't even offer to give anything back. Doesn't that bug you? He's stolen all that stuff. Doesn't even offer to give it back. And who is justified? God justifies the tax collector. There's a sense of injustice in the whole thing. Isn't there? There's a sense of injustice that I think we feel. Okay. As, as, as we get that sense of injustice and we, and we look at ourselves and we look at the tax collector, how do we, how do we end up with this last part? How, do, how does this challenge us? Which says, For I tell you this, that this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. How can we be those who humble ourselves? How can we be those who genuinely don't look down on others, but are genuinely humble. What do we do? Is it, is it a physical thing? What do we have to do? And I have two things, and it's amazing um, if you look at John's week and you look at my week, I can't say very much about mine, but the, the difficulties we've gone through and the challenges very much mirror the next part of what I'm going to say and also um, uh, some of the, the elements in the tax collector. And... Uh, I want to challenge us in terms of forgiveness. What does real forgiveness mean? That's what I want to challenge us. Forgiving those who sin against you. I don't know if you've uh, watched the film The Railway Man. Anybody watch that? It's an amazingly powerful film of a man who went to... uh, In the Second World War, he was in a Japanese uh, concentration camp. He was treated abominably by particular Japanese people. He really was treated bad. He was beaten. He was put in self, um, uh, self-contained for a number of, of times and then got married after, after the war and, and he was just reliving it. He just hadn't got over what happened to him. And then he, his wife encouraged him to go back to the place where it all happened in Thailand. He encouraged him to go back there and he actually ended up meeting one of the people who gave him all those punishments, who persecuted him, who made him suffer, who beat him, who humiliated him. And that was a really poignant moment when he got cross. 
And he said, right, I'm going to do the same to you. I'm going to throw you in here. I'm going to, I'm going to do this to you. I'm going, to, I'm going to punish you like I suffered. And then he's just sitting there and he's wondering that actually he's perpetrating the hatred. And what he actually needs to do is to come to some resolution of forgiveness. And he actually needs to not just say, I forgive you, but he needs to walk in that. And it's a very powerful part of the film when he does that. Do you know when Jesus died on the cross, he died for you and for me. He died for our sins, didn't he? We may not feel that we're rapists or paedophiles. We may not have done anything particularly dramatic, but actually we've all fallen short of the glory of God. None of us deserves an eternity with him. None of us. However long we've lived, whatever we've done, however good we've been, none of us deserves that. What we deserve is eternity without God. And actually when Jesus went to the cross, when he died... He died for our sins. He forgave us. In his pain, he forgave us our sins. Everything. We didn't deserve that. We should not have been forgiven. But we were forgiven at that time by Jesus' death and his resurrection. And actually because of that, that changes our hearts. It changes our minds. It changes our motivations. And actually, it means that we need to think about our forgiving other people. And I know when I say this, I'm touching raw nerves here, but there will be people here who've been through some really difficult things in life. I know I've had a really tough week, and there's one person that I have regularly forgiven since Friday night, and I'm still working through, I'll be honest. But you know, there are people here who will feel that they've been particularly unappreciated by somebody. People who've been lied to, people who've been bullied, people who've dealt with an abusive boss, people who have had a really unfair decision, maybe at work. There are people who have been involved in really tough family breakdown. And whenever that happens, there's that sense of, um, it's not my fault, it's their fault. There's that, that sense of injustice. People who've been through abuse, neglect, People have been deserted and have gone through broken promises. And you know, when, you, when we do that, having forgiving is so, so difficult. Walking the way of the cross and saying, well, if Jesus said that, then I must do the same. Matthew 6, verse 14 and 15 says this, For you, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. I don't want to be too harsh on that, but what it's saying is, as Christians, we are a forgiving people. That's our nature. And actually, if we can really get that right, if we can really be a forgiving people, that will speak amazingly to the world, to those that we work with, to those in our family. If we are, have genuinely forgive, if we genuinely go through that Calvary road of Forgiveness. Saying, I forgive, is not genuine forgiveness, is it? It's such an easy thing to say. I'm really sorry, bye. And then, no, no, no. Saying, I forgive, then needs action. And I've got a little phrase here, and I wonder if this will help some of you. Um, This is not forgiveness. Saying, I forgive but keeping reminding the person, person about what they did in a discussion or argument is not forgiveness, is it? That's not forgiveness. 
When God forgave us at the cross, he did not treat us as our sins deserve. But truly forgave us completely and now treats us in a completely different way. So when we forgive, we should not hold on, hold the sin against them. But in a way, it doesn't mean we completely forget. You know that phrase, forgive and forget? I don't think I, I struggle with that. Because actually, we do remember, but we try and treat that person as if that never happened. We try to treat them with kindness and with grace and with love. We may not end up being their best friend. But we should not be at the place wherever we see them. We think, just you wait until I get my hands on you. I want to see the justice of God on you. No, no, we want to say, we want to bless you. We want to see the best for you. And that is hard. Do you know, the way I read scripture, I don't think forgiveness and forgiving others is an option. I think it's a command. And I think it is powerful. In our word, it is so powerful. You can all think of, of times in, in recent history where that, the power of forgiveness has made such a difference. Ah, I can now see why I um, couldn't find where my notes were. I put them in the wrong order. Lovely. Right. Okay. <laughs> I won't go back to the tax collector. Um, forgiveness is painful. It takes a real effort. But if we don't forgive, we become colder, we become harder, we become more cynical, we become more prejudiced, we become a little bit more like the Pharisee. And it's our hearts, isn't it, that we want to be soft for Jesus. We want to be those that say, look, Lord, I've mucked up again. Forgive me. Rather than, I've got most things right, but look at them. It's that heart. And true forgiveness is a real miracle. And a very, very powerful witness. Okay, so that's my first point afterwards. Uh, the second one is even a bit more of a challenge, because it's been quite a challenging morning, isn't it? So you're ready for the next one. Yeah, so the first one is to forgive others. And the second one comes from Matthew 5, verse 44, and that says this. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And that is, that, that's getting tougher again, isn't it? It's not just saying, okay, I forgive you. I'll, I'll try and be really pleasant when you're around. I'll do my very best. But it's also saying, now pray for those who persecute you. And I have to say, there are one or two people, and this is how I feel like praying for them. Lord, let them get what they deserve. Yeah? Fire and brimstone. The judgment is the Lord's, and he's better in it than me. Ah. Lord, I really, really pray that the mistakes they've made will come back to bite them. That isn't what it says, isn't it? What does it say? What does it mean to pray for those who persecute you, to pray for those you hate? Well, I think it means phrases like, Lord, bless them. Bless their marriage, bless their life, bless their family. I may not feel like it, but Lord, bless them. I may may still have to forgive them regularly, but Lord, bless them where they go. Lord, may they find you. May they find the joy of salvation if they don't already. But will you do good to them, even if it hurts? 
you know, it is um, amazing. It's an amazing privilege to preach, and I really appreciate the opportunities that I have. But it is amazing that God takes you, puts you through the ringer sometimes. And it has been one for me, one of those weeks where I have just gone up and down. And forgiveness has been something that I've really, really, I'm walking with, as I say. But I want to encourage you, because if God's put me through that, and if God has encouraged me for us to be people who ask God for forgiveness, like that tax collector, but also that power of forgiveness to others, that the gospel will go out and they will see us as a forgiving people, one that can bring restoration and hope and peace, one that is not cynical and hard but one that has the grace of God. And forgiveness isn't easy, and nor is praying for those who persecute us. And in his grace, and in his mercy, through the cross, like the tax collector, despite the fact that we don't deserve it, he will lift us up. He will lift us up.